Okay, uh, Lynette, I love your book, and I had just a question. Like you, you were you're talking in your book about the last decade in China and the development under Hu Jintao and under Xi Jinping of the use of thugs to maintain order, hiring thugs for hire, as well as the use of brokers to sort of conduct, you know, propaganda and convincing people to stop, uh, stop protest activity. Why, why are, why are Chinese authorities doing this? What's the, what's the rationale between these two types of strategies? So the rationale is that, you know, we know that state repression, whether or not it is violent, often invites backlash and resistance because people do not like to be repressed, period. But the logic is that, you know, by outsourcing repression and, and by outsourcing repression to non-state actors, that allows the state to keep an arm's length relationship from those people who actually carry out the repression. So for sex for hire, they usually use very low-grade violence, such as intimidation, uh, beating people up in the middle of the night, away from the public's eyes, uh, so that it is it's not in the social media when it is done when it is done successfully. So under those circumstances, it actually minimizes resistance as well as backlash. As for grassroots brokers, this is actually a, a very common strategy throughout China. It's prevalent. It has got a lot of Maoist roots to it. Uh, during the Great Leap Forward Cultural Revolution, Mao also mobilized a lot of volunteers and activists to do state policies, very ambitious state policies, not unlike today. So Xi, is, Xi Jinping is reviving a lot of this because social volunteers, they are trusted by the society. They are embedded within the communities. So it's a way of getting things done and also keeping state legitimacy intact. But this is still pretty different from totalitarianism, isn't it? I mean, when I think of Mao, I think of, you know, calling people out onto the streets, mo truly mobilizing everybody. What you're talking about is selectively trying to get certain people involved in stopping their uncle from petitioning or protesting, right? Yes, it is. It is quite it is quite different from the extreme measures taken in the Maoist days. It is also very different from what we hear about China's repressive measures in the media, such as camps in Xinjiang, national security law in Hong Kong, arresting people and those sort of very extreme violence. So what I'm highlighting in the book is the everyday measures that people take for granted, but it's actually really, really effective in expanding state power, imposing compliance on the society. And these people who do the dirty jobs for the state, they are part of society. And the, so the beauty of that is that they can impose repression on the society without having the people feel that it, if, feel like it is really repression. So people would, would most of the time accept it if they do not go overboard and, uh, you know, would happily uh, go with uh, state orders. And so that sounds, sounds a little bit like less like totalitarianism and more like authoritarianism, sort of cheaper, uh, you know, cost effective measures of, you know, coercing people to do what Beijing wants. Right. It is cost effective. It is also a very smart style of authoritarianism, but there are a lot of scope conditions for this to work. But aren't and, there risks? Yes. Aren't there risks to this? I mean, I'm, if I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of sort of, you know, mafia, uh, you know, re state reliance on local actors in the Qing Dynasty kind of undermines the state rule, or you know, right. in, in Russia, you know, the infiltration of the state apparatus by mafia. D does this invite some risks for 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 party state rule in China going forward? 
Yes, yes. Um, you know, if you use thugs for hire, these are ultimately violent agents. If you have no control over their behavior, they could turn around and hold the state in hostage, right? Um, and I think Xi Jinping recognized the risk uh, of this growing, growing strength of mafias and local thugs uh, at the grassroots level. So when Xi Jinping first came to power, aside from anti-corruption, the, the other big campaign that he has introduced is the Saohei campaign that tries to root out mafias and gangsters. And the policy specifically mentioned thugs that helps local authorities to do demolition and land grab. So it is a rather serious problem in China, something that Xi Jinping recognized and, and, and it has tried to eradicate. So to go to the extreme, uh, during Kuomintang years, Kuomintang was very weak. It needs to eradicate its communist uh, enemies. It needs to utilize the Green Gang, which is a powerful gang in Shanghai, but also negotiate with the gang. CCP is not there yet because it is still rather strong. So it's what you're saying is it's sort of the, the, the Beijing wants to wants to use thugs to do its bidding, but it doesn't want a strong organizational force independent Correct. of... You know, Correct. The mafia doesn't get to organize. It just the, the, the low level thugs should listen to us, right. not form right. an organization right. of their own. And and most of the time they are fairly successful in keeping these people disorganized. So they could dismiss them when the jobs are done. So when we see in the recently Tangshan case when, when a bunch of men beat up a woman, I mean that is uh that is quite an extreme case and I would think rather unusual uh you know given the wider scale we're gonna have to stop there but thank you so much uh lynette it was great talking to you thank you so much carl